Hey everyone, how's it going? I'm Ben, one of the pastors here at EV. Uh, it's good to be here tonight. Uh, we're going to do something that is at, the, at one point mundane, the thing we do every single Sunday, come and gather, sit under God's word, but also something which is uh, very profound. And we're going to see tonight just why and how what we come and do um, when we gather as church is so profound. So why don't you join me, let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the chance to come and sit and listen to you. Um, we pray tonight expectantly that you would work in us um, by your word, through your spirit, to change us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear tonight um, the message of the gospel and that you would grow and change and shape us to be more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, it's so good to be here, isn't it? Um, I, I think uh, what we're going to try and do tonight is diagnose a bit of the, uh, a problem that I've seen around the place and then speak into what the Bible's solution for that is. So uh, here's one thing I've noticed. I think that one of the highest values that our culture holds at the moment is to be authentic, to be truly you. Uh, it's this message that we see portrayed everywhere. It's what you get at every high school graduation. It's what you get uh, from career advice. Uh, to who you need to be is truly yourself. That is who you are. The, the kind of internal desires and thoughts that you have, um, disregarding the kind of the body, the, the rest of who you are. Uh, and, and it kind of, we, we see it every, every TV show that you watch has the same thing. Actually, Disney is really good. Does anyone watch Disney movies? Any Disney movie fans? This is basically the plot of every single Disney movie ever. Um, that to throw off the shackles of um, conformity, of external kind of pressure trying to form who you are, and to um, release and just be your authentic self. So think, and not, this isn't always a bad thing. This can actually be a really good thing as well. So think Mulan um, throws off the shackles of kind of cultural expectation and goes to war. Um, frozen, let it go. Um, brave, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to marry the Scottish prince. I'm going to do things my way. I watched one the other day with my kids, Luca. Has anyone seen Luca? It's a fantastic, I mean, it's a kid's movie, but you guys will love it. It's set in like 1950s on the Italian coast, and it kind of picks up these themes of um, Luca is a sea monster, and what he really wants is to be able to go to school and ride a Vespa, as you do, because you're on the Italian coast. But the problem is that the humans hate the sea monsters. And so there's this dilemma, will he conform to the kind of expectations, or will he be able to be his authentic and true self? Uh, go and watch Luca. It's a fantastic movie. It's this kind of story of overcoming difficulties to be who you truly are. That's kind of the water that we're swimming in. It's, this, um, it's the result of the kind of post-enlightenment, romantic, and now post-modern era that we live in. Basically, one writer described um, what, we, what we think of ourselves is as a, we're choosing selves. Um, the choosing self, that's what a human is. Someone that uh, has expressions and desires and thoughts and then chooses to live them out. That's what, that's what most people around us think it is to be human. And so it's our thoughts and desires that make us who we truly are. That's what people think. That's what our culture is kind of e expressing. And so therefore, to be authentic is good. That's who you are. And it's never good to not follow your desires. That's to conform. Uh, Disney has kind of picked up on this and played on it. We get lots of movies that pick up on that. The problem, though, 
is that we end up in this space where none of us really know what it actually means to be ourselves. We just get told to chase whatever feels right, go after your desires, and, and that's who you truly are. And, and as long as you're not hurting anyone, great. That's who you are. But our desires keep changing. So should I go with the old or the new? Well, it's very fluid. We're not sure. And every few years, there's kind of a, a new cultural moment that tells us to care about, to desire something different. And so we're left kind of wondering, well, what, what, who am I? What, what does it actually mean to be human? And we just kind of follow the crowd. And I think Ephesians 4 speaks into this question. Who, who am I? What does it mean to be authentically me? How do I break free and actually have change in my life and, and real and lasting and meaningful change? How do I be the authentic self that actually that God made me to be? And, and I think Ephesians 4 answers that and cuts right to the heart of the gospel and, in, and says that in Jesus, you are free to be the new self made in the image of God because God has saved you and he's made you new. He's renewing you day by day. So that's where we're going to go tonight. Um, we're going to look at the kind of the old self, the life that we, that we have without God. We're going to look at how to put on the new self. And then there's a the bunch of applications from 25 to the end where Paul kind of outlines, what does this new life look like for Christians in community? So as we've been working through Ephesians this term, we've seen, haven't we, that we're not at the center of the universe, that Jesus is doing something huge and amazing, and, and God's plan for the world is to bring all things under the lordship of Jesus. And when we gather together as a church, we're part of a, a story, a heritage of something much bigger than ourselves, that we're drawn into this story of God's plan, saving people for himself, out of darkness and into light, from death to life, out of slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. And, and chapter 4, we saw last week, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. This kind of language of live, it's this live to walk, it's this purposefulness, this direction that we're heading for the Christian life. Uh, what it looks like to be God's redeemed, transformed, and saved people. And he kind of picks picks up on it again here in the second half of chapter 4. He kind of continues the argument. So make sure you have a Bible open. We're going to read, read through it now, um, starting in verse 17. And can I just say, th this first bit, there's some quite heavy themes here. Um, we're going to deal with them. We're going to kind of talk through that. But I just wanted to flag that as we go. So picking up verse 17, Paul says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their thoughts. See, Paul's kind of describing the Gentiles as just Paul's way of saying anyone who doesn't know Jesus. So for him, there was Jews and Gentiles, God's special people, and then others. And the miracle of the gospel that we've seen is that now both Jews and Gentiles can be in Christ. But he uses Gentiles as this kind of shorthand for um, without God that don't have their trust in Jesus. And he says, you're not to live like that anymore um, because it's futile. It's this way of life that's, that's pointless. It doesn't have an end goal. He goes on in verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. That's heavy, isn't it? That's quite a heavy kind of phrase, heavy kind of accusations to, to level at a group of people. 
um, the overwhelming majority of people at the time. Uh, and I reckon to call someone ignorant is about one of the worst things that you could call someone today. It's the ignorant, closed-minded, bigoted, that kind of, you don't know what's going on. Like, we, we hate that. We want to, we, no, I'm open-minded, I'm knowledgeable. I, you know, that's such an insult to be called that. But this ignorance here, it's not just like not knowing the last footy match or forgetting your partner's birthday and forgetting to get them a present. Like, that, those are, that's a level of ignorance there. But what Paul's talking about here is an ignorance that is kind of willful and, and purposed ignorance. Uh, it's an ignorance that comes, verse 18, because of the hardness of heart. See, for Paul, he, he sees into the human condition. He says that we think and act the way that we do because of what's going on in here, in our hearts. We're not just kind of rational beings. We're not robots that just kind of make the programmed best decision at all times. We're people. We have hearts. And, and, it's, and it's this kind of emotional life. Uh, we have biases. We have different fears, different loves, different desires. And those things are driving us towards something. Towards something. It's, it seems here, this picture, it's this willful ignorance that doesn't want anyone else to tell us how to live. And so, of course, doesn't want to hear truth about God. And the result... Verse 18 is that we've been excluded from the life of God. Or another way you could say it, we've been alienated. We've been separated from the God of the universe. We don't want to listen to him or have him tell us what to do. And so rightly, we've been cut off from him. We've cut ourselves off and been cut off, separated from him. And this is essentially the essence of what the Bible calls sin. That we're not in right relationship with God. That we're cut off and actually under judgment because of that. It's, it's a willful ignorance, though. Do you see that? Uh, one thing I've noticed in Auckland is there aren't many speed signs. See, imagine you're going home after, after uni church tonight, and you're driving home, and, and it's late, and, you, and you're just going like 50, 60, 70 k's over the speed limit. And a cop pulls you over, and they're like, hey, what are you, like, what are you doing? This is reckless. This is endangering lives, your life, other people on the road. And you're like, well, I didn't see a speed sign. Like, it wouldn't cut it. Would it? Like, uh, there's, a, there's a, a willful disregard of kind of even just common safety there to, to speed that much over the limit. Your ignorance isn't, the fact that you hadn't seen a speed sign isn't um, an excuse for disregarding kind of road safety. That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. It's not just an ignorance that it's a whoops, I forgot. It's a willful, determined hardening of heart. And verse 19, see where it, see where it leads. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. This kind of, this word callous, it's this um, hard-hearted, like a, um, I was thinking of like Metapod in Pokemon. I don't know if anyone <laughs> like uses Harden, you know, like that useless, most useless ability. Um, but it's this idea of uh, desensitized hard-hearted and against God, and so desensitized to right and wrong. And, and, and the result is um, going after wrong, which Paul here calls impurity. Um, and not just going after it, but because we're desensitized and our hearts are hard, going after it more and more. 
continuing to try and chase that fix, get that um, whatever it is that we're desiring, that we're greedy for more and more of it. Like kind of I'm picturing like rats running around in like a science experiment looking for cheese in the maze. Just keeping on living for all these different things, thinking that they will fulfill us, but not realizing that those things are actually killing us, cutting us off from life with God. See, I think the desire to chase after good and beauty and pleasure and satisfaction and joy is an inbuilt desire. That's not wrong in and of itself. God made us to enjoy his creation, to enjoy um, beautiful things, to, ch- to have pleasure. Why, why did he give us both ears and amazing music to listen to? He didn't have to do it that way, but he did. Why did he give us eyes and sunsets? He made us to chase these things. But our problem is not the desire, but the broken places that we go to, find, to, to meet that desire. See, Paul summarizes the old self. You get a summary there in verse 22. He says, the, old, the former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Because of sin and brokenness in the world, we can't even trust our own kind of internal desires and thoughts anymore. Those things won't lead us where we think they will. We want them to lead us to peace, to fulfillment, to satisfaction, but instead they lead us to destruction. They're corrupted. The problem is, though, that we don't realize that we have corrupted desires. We don't realize that we're actually, Paul describes it elsewhere, that we're slaves to our desires. And, and you'll never get rescued if you don't realize that you need rescue. If you're drowning and you don't put your hand up in the surf, a surf lifesaver might not even see you. You won't get rescued if you don't realize how much need of rescue you have. Because that's what we need. It's clear from this passage, isn't it? We need rescue and renewal. We'll never be able to make any lasting change in our own lives or in the world unless we're rescued. Maybe you're here tonight and you're new to the things of Christianity and you're new to church and you're just checking it out and you're feeling some of this reality. The things you keep running to for joy, for fulfillment, for satisfaction, don't bring what they promised. You're keen to change, but you keep finding yourself unable to change back in the rut, back where you were. See, what you need, what each of us needs, whether we know Jesus yet or not, is to keep turning to him for rescue. You could do that today. You could do that after the service. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after the service tonight. If you realize for the first time that you want Jesus to rescue, you could do that with us tonight. See, the picture here is this kind of downward spiral, hard-hearted and futile and, and living for things that we think will bring us life, but actually cut us off and give us death. That's the picture. But Jesus doesn't just rescue us from the old way of life, life without him. He enables us to now make change and live the new life, to put on the new self. See, that's the second point. We're to put on the new self. See, see where Paul goes in verse 20. He says, that is not how you, talking to the kind of Christians here, That's not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. See, what what do we do? You've got corrupted desires, you've got futile thoughts, your heart and your mind are hardened. What, What can you do in that situation? Well, you turn to Jesus. He is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. 
And it says to know Jesus, not just to know facts about Jesus, it's to apprentice yourself to him. To be willing to listen to him and and hear from him, to respond to him when he summons you. To be shaped by his teaching, to submit to his rules. To test the desires of your life against what Jesus would have to say. Is this actually going to bring me the life that I'm seeking or will it actually lead to my destruction? See, Jesus is the one who can change our minds, our hearts and our values because we've been captured by lies and we need the truth that is in Jesus. That's the only thing that can set us free. Verse 22, we've been set free for a purpose. To then, verse 22, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. It's this reality that, you know, you look back at your life and and life without Jesus and and sin and those things that you did, um, or sometimes maybe even slip into now, and you think that they're fun, and, you know, sometimes they were maybe. But they were also destructive and addictive and cut you off from life with God, the one who made you. But Jesus has rescued you from that if your trust is in him. And and verse 24, we're now to put on the new self. To put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and the purity and purity of the truth. Paul has in mind here two moments of creation. Um, Creating the likeness of God, we go back to Genesis 1, the creation account. And we see men and women created in God's likeness, in his image, to be in relationship with him. But Paul also has in mind here recreation. The truths that we've been seeing through Ephesians 1 and 2 so far, that we've been made new. You're a new person if you're in Christ. He's brought us to life. And so he has these two kind of truths in mind there. He says, you're now free to be this new person that God made you. Who you truly are, your authentic self. How? How do you do it? How are you going to make that change? Verse 23, he outlines it. He says, um, what we need, we've been corrupted by deceitful desires. Verse 23, we need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's how we're to put on the new self. That's how we go from old to new. That's how we change, to be renewed. And spirit here, he doesn't mean the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. He means renewed in the attitude of your minds, the kind of thoughts and desires and, and thinking that you have in your mind. See, because the truth sets us free, it's a truth that we come to with our minds. We need renewal to be able to understand it. And, and the tenses are really interesting here. I'm not going to nerd out too much with you, but basically in 22 and 24, the put off and put on, uh, the, the language here in the Greek is kind of the language of this once and for all holistically completed action. You do it once and it's done. You put it off and you put it on. That's what he's describing here. It's kind of, that's the moment that Christ worked in you through his spirit. You put your trust in him and you put off the old self, the old way of living, and put on the new. But, and who does it? It's, it's you who's doing it, isn't it? You put off the old self, you put on the new. But verse 23, it's this kind of, um, the tense is a tense that's kind of ongoing. It, it's kind of ongoing, present, like tense, just keep, like continues to happen. It's this ongoing process of renewal that happens to you. You don't renew yourself. God renews you. He renews your mind constantly and daily. So that you can live the new life who you truly are at that moment when you confess Jesus as Lord and put off the old self and put on the new. See, how does he do that? How does God renew your mind? 
He's doing it right now. As you come and listen to him speak, as you spend time in his word, Jesus renews our minds as we submit ourselves to him and listen to him. He does it through his spirit at work in our hearts as we sit in his word and hear from him. See, he does it at church, at your connect group, at, at youth group, at, when you open up the Bible and spend time with God at home, when you think of a verse in the Bible as you're out walking about in public, when you pray and call Scripture to mind, the Spirit, Jesus works in you through his Spirit as you get into his Word. He renews you daily. He teaches you how to see the world rightly. He shapes what you value and your desires. He helps you to kind of assess, hey, is this thing that I'm living for, that I'm seeking, that I'm desiring, is that good? Is it going to bring me life? Or is it actually going to lead to my destruction? We do that by going to the Word daily. Jesus' Spirit works in us as we hear Him speak to us through His Word. And the result is that we can now be new selves transformed and renewed, made like God in his likeness, righteous and holy. Hard hearts made sensitive. See, Paul's not saying here that you'll never, never struggle with sin again. You'll, he's not saying that you won't ever have temptations again. He's not saying that you won't ever not want to listen to Jesus again. But he's saying that you've been made new. You're a new person now if you're in Jesus if you've put off the old self, you've trusted him and you've put on the new self. You're a new person. See, the old self was trapped in sin and futility. Do you see the kind of the downward spiral we saw at the start? You couldn't have changed even if you'd have wanted to. But it, the picture is that not even do you not want to, but you want to do anything but change, anything but turn to Jesus. See, the slide's going to come up that will help us kind of understand these, these four modes of um, how we respond to Jesus. In the garden, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had a choice. Am I going to choose to listen to God or am I going to choose to sin? And they, had, they really had a free choice. Will I choose not to sin or will I choose to sin? But they chose rebellion and sin and sin entered the world and brokenness entered the world. And, and Adam and Eve's sin was uh, imputed or given to each of us. And, and, and that's the reality of sinful, broken humanity that we then live with their consequences. And so humanity po like post the fall um, can no longer now choose not to sin. We can't do it. We, we can't fix our hard hearts, our futile minds, our desire to do anything but turn to God. And, and so we need rescue. That's what the passage is saying. We need renewal. We need God to do a work in our minds. And, and so in Christ, you see that third box down the bottom left, renewed humanity, humanity that has had a, Christ do a work in them, gets the same choice back in a way that Adam and Eve had. See, you and I are able not to sin because God's made us new. We're able to make choices not to sin. It's not that we'll never, it's not that we'll never sin because you know, we're still able to sin, this side of the new creation. But we now really and truly are able to not be a slave to our sinful desires. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. You can go there and ask me a question about this later. And in, in, in eternity, we will spend eternity with God in the new creation, and there will be no more sin. There will be no more wrong, no more brokenness, no more pain. There will be no human that sins ever. We'll be unable to sin. That's the kind of joyful hope that we look forward to, even as we go through these motions of uh, wanting to change and not quite being able to now. That's the new self that we have. 
Um, do you see God's work and your work here? It's not all just your work, is it? You need your mind renewed for this to happen. But it is partly your work. You do put off the old self, put on the new. Anyone who's ever um, wrestled as in the Christian life before would know that this is true, right? There are things that I can do to fight temptation and sin and stop living the old way. But behind that is God's Spirit at work through His Word in your mind, renewing you so that you're enabled for the fight. That's what we see here. See, Paul, Paul kind of tells us that we're renewed and then, and then gives us all these practical examples of what the renewed life would look like. And, and just think back to that question at the start, to being a choosing self. You can see how this is very different to what our world thinks, doesn't it? The world says that whatever desire you have, as long as you're not hurting someone, will go for it. That must be who you authentically are. But we as Christians can see actually some of our desires are corrupted. And even this side of Jesus saving us, we still need to test that. We need to have our minds renewed. We need to turn to the Word and see, hey, is this thing that I think will be good, is it actually good? We need to continually do that in the Christian life. And, and so Paul gives us some examples now. Here's the third point of what it looks like to live as the new self. They're concrete examples. And I would take it that these examples are primarily for how Christians are to act in community with other Christians. Um, these aren't examples or concrete things for non-Christians to do. No, no, no. Christianity is not about a set of rules, remember? It's about rescue. It's not about things you need to do to be right with God. It's about coming to Him in need of rescue, Jesus doing a work in you to save you, to put your trust in Him and so that He will renew your mind. Um, it's not a list of rules, but it is um, the kind of an external that reflects the change that's happened internally. It's kind of like the clothes you wear, right? Think uh, a nurse would wear different clothing to a judge or a, sh uh, or a soldier. You know, judge's robes and, and the kind of picture of the wig versus nurse's scrubs, right? Wearing the uniform doesn't make you that. I can't just walk into a hospital with scrubs on and, you know, get onto the ward and start doing stuff, right? I don't know anything. It's, I'm not a nurse. But, so the, the clothing, the externals, the actions... Don't make you the internal. But the uniform ought to match the internal reality, right? You're not going to go into battle wearing judges' robes. That won't go very well for you. Although scrubs might work okay in a battle. I don't know. Um, do you get the idea, though? The external is just a uh, matching of the internal reality of the new life that you now have in Christ. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. See, again, if you're new here, Oh, if you can take one thing home tonight, if you don't know Jesus yet, it's that you need rescue. Each of us here tonight will profess that if you ask us. Hey, what is at the core of what it is to be Christian for you? We'll all say the same thing. Jesus rescued us. I put my faith in him and he died for me when I couldn't save myself. That's what you ask any Christian, that's what they'll say. Let's have a look at these things, these concrete examples. And I'll go through them. I've got i got eight minutes, so I might go through a few of them a bit quickly. You can pick them up in question time. We're going to do question time at the end if you want more on anything in particular. The first one there, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. See, so stop lying and tell the truth. You ever thought, what makes you lie? Why do you lie? We lie for a bunch of reasons. We lie to make ourselves look better. 
Oh, I didn't get that email. Sorry, you must have lost it. It's not, it's not my bad. It must be your bad. You know, we lie um, to kind of protect ourselves a little bit. When we, when we don't trust someone else not to judge us harshly, we try to make ourselves look better so that they won't judge us harshly. You know, we lie, we lie in all kinds of little ways. Oh, yeah, that's my 5K PB time. I could do that easy. Oh, I'm sorry, Mum and Dad. It's been so long since I've called and things have just been crazy. And man, I tried to call, but it didn't go through. Like, I, what do you, you know, you guys would know this, don't you? There's so many reasons to just give these little lies. But now, as a new self, a new person made new in Jesus, we have something much better than self-protection or self-promotion. We've got the truth. Um, this is actually a quote from Zechariah 8, and it's this picture of this community that comes together in the truth to encourage each other all the more going forward. This kind of new life community. And, and, and Paul's saying, you know, we're members of each other. We owe it to each other to speak truthfully, to have at times tough conversations with each other, to, to kind of share where we're at, to be vulnerable, to kind of in your connect group, when someone else shares something that they're struggling with, you say, oh, that must be terrible for you. No, no, we don't do that. We come alongside them. Yeah, I've struggled with that too. Yeah, God, God has rescued you. Jesus loves you, even in that. We've got truth. Verse 26, he says, be, ang- be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Did you think you're going to come to church tonight and hear um, the Bible tell you to be angry? That's, that's a, what, does he, what does he mean? What's Paul mean here? This is actually a quote from Psalm 4. And in its context, what Paul's saying is, it's this um, quote where David is angry because he has been unjustly accused by his enemies. And he's angry about it. And, but in the psalm, he prays to God and he remembers that actually it's God's opinion of him that matters most. And he's filled with a kind of sense of joy and peace. You can go chase up Psalm 4 later. And I take it here, what Paul's saying is that there's a right emotional response to injustice and sin and brokenness in our world. To, to lies, to betrayal, to hurt. And in the face of those things, it's right to feel angry. I hear on the news about the war in Ukraine and it makes me angry. I hear in the news about injustice and suffering done to marginalized or vulnerable people groups. And there's a, there's a right. We should feel something there. There's something right. See, in, in Mark 3, Mark outlines this story where there's a man with a withered hand. And it's on the Sabbath and he's in the synagogue and the Jewish leaders are trying to trap Jesus and go, oh, is he going to heal the withered man? They're kind of all gathered around. Like you can picture them like watching, like peering. Oh, is he going to do it? Can we, can we nab him for doing the wrong thing on the Sabbath? And, and, and Jesus calls them out. He calls them all over and Mark records that Jesus calls them over and is angry and grieved at their sin. And at their hard hearts. And we know that Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. And so what we see here, we get this picture of this anger at sin and injustice and human legalism and lack of grace. And and Jesus was rightfully anger. And that kind of anger accompanied by grief and a desire to see change, I don't think is sinful. I think that's what Paul's saying here. But I've got to be honest with you guys. Sometimes those big moments, I feel that kind of anger, injustice, and sin. I don't know if you guys feel that too. But often they aren't usually the things that I get angry about. 
What gets, what gets Ben angry? It's when someone cuts me off or doesn't let me merge into traffic. It's when my kids won't listen to me. It's when I feel overworked and underappreciated. It's when a piece of tech doesn't work. Like my Google Home, I don't know if anyone else, I spent like two weeks trying to make my Google Home work and it made me so mad because it kept, I had to set it from Australia. Anyway, you guys don't care. It made me so mad. It revealed something about my heart. See, underneath that anger was this attitude that thought, God owes me something. He owes me better than this. Rather than getting angry at my own sin or at sin and injustice in the world, I got angry because I thought that God owed me something better, that God ought to have treated me better. That's totally ungodly, that kind of anger. And Paul calls us to kind of put that anger off, to put off anger that comes from relationships with others. See, how does anger become sin? When we sit on it, when we chew on it, when we let it simmer without dealing with it, when we, when, we, when we kind of push it down and push it to the side. So you might have the initial emotional response to another person or a situation, and what do you do with it? You know, the godly response would be to deal with it, to, to either go to the person or acknowledge that sin to God and move on, repent and move on. But Paul is saying here, if you've got conflict with someone else, Deal with it. Remember, we're talking about the context of a Christian community. Avoid brooding in that anger and kind of nursing it and holding on to it. Do you, you know when you've been hurt or wronged by someone, do you know how good it feels to kind of hold on to it and tell others, oh, that, you, that person hurt me so much in that way, and kind of hold on to it and grow it and it, and it grows in you? And all, all you're doing is you're entrenching that anger. See, don't give Satan the opportunity to use that anger against you to bring division and, and, and cause disruption in the church community, to distract you from God or keep you gathering from his people because you're angry about something. See, the old self would have held on to anger, would have vented it to as many different people as possible and then kind of afterwards kind of felt really good about themselves as I'm in the right and the other person's wronged me. But the new self sees unity as the goal. And so rather than venting or resenting or holding onto it, is willing to process it and deal with it. And that, that can take time, that can be hard, and, but is willing to start that process and not just hold on to things and give Satan an opportunity. Next one, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. See, the old self, the old way of living, there's so many reasons to work. For financial security, for job satisfaction, for kind of career progression, for funding your travels so you can buy the latest and greatest gadgets and tech and um, you know, put a down payment down for a house. There are a million reasons to, to, to work, none of them inherently bad in and of themselves. But do you see the reason that the new self works? To be generous to seek opportunities to share with others in need. See, next time you go to your job, whatever it is, are you going motivated by a desire to be generous to others? Wow, how would that change how you approached your work life? The new self has a completely different outlook on money. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You could print out your bank statement and kind of line itemize every little thing, and it would tell you, where your heart was. It would tell you what you treasured. What do you treasure? What, what would your bank statement say about what you treasured? See, your work is an opportunity now to be generous, 
to give to others. It's to support our partner missionaries that have gone around the world to share Jesus with others, to support the work of the gospel going out here on campus at Uni Church, to, to give to aid to those living overseas who can't afford to eat or live or hear about the gospel, organizations like Compassion, like World Aid, that do that kind of thing, to fund future church plants, to start all around Auckland and New Zealand to see more and more people find new life in Jesus. See, it would seem crazy to an old self person to think about money that way. Isn't that crazy? This is the worst financial advice you will ever hear. Work in order to give away. That is crazy. But that's what you can do now if you're a new self. Christ has saved you. He's renewed you. And you find your security not in money and the things that it can provide for you, but in the God who loves you. You're free now to be generous as workers. That's amazing. That's what God's doing among us. Verse 29. The new self speaks differently. Do you see it there? No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. I love that phrase. It give, give grace. After church tonight, try and give someone grace. Hey, what a cool, what a nice phrase. What a, what the, kind of speak truth and love to them in a way that builds them up. See, CSB has no foul language here, but the kind of word there for foul, it's actually the word for corrupted or rotten. It's let, let no corrupted language. It's not really crude. We're going to cover crude language and kind of coarse. We'll talk about that next week. That's in Ephesians 5. Um, this is language that destroys from the inside out, that brings division and, and tears things apart rather than building up. Talk that's useless and destructive. It's, it's gossip. It's divisive comments. It's complaining. See, have you, anyone ever bitten into a rotten apple before? Yeah? I mean, on the outside, it looks so good. You take a bite and it's like, like brown and ugh, even I've bitten into one of those moldy ones. Ugh, ugh, yuck. Like, that's what Paul's saying the old self would have done to talk like that. But we're not to, to, to talk like that any, anymore. We're to, to give grace to others, to build them up, to express the unity that we have in Christ that we've seen time and time again through the book of Ephesians. I reckon one place that we find this hard today in particular is online. Hands up who finds it really easy to be gentle and patient and kind to others in an online space. No, <laughs> I don't see any hands. I'm putting mine way down. One commentator called this the age of outrage. We are so easily outraged and, and we forget that there is a human life on the other end of that keyboard and we smash them. We go to town. We're, we're, we attack the argument. We attack the man. We disagree with someone and we just go to town. We're not to be like that. We're to be, even in disagreement, we're to be people that love each other and, and try and build each other up and, and point each other back to the gospel and the truths of who Christ is and who we are and, and that we can now know what true life is. We're not to be quick to tear each other down. It, why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us to build us up, not to tear us down. Verse 30, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. See, Paul, Paul reminds us back to the Spirit's work sealing us as, as God's people until the day when Jesus returns and the new creation comes. But do you see what he, he says there? God's Spirit is doing a work in us. 
renewing us as we come to the word, as we listen to Jesus. He's growing us together in unity and maturity, as we saw last week, that we're being built up into the fullness of the image of, of Jesus. See, don't grieve the Spirit by speaking in ways that divide and, and, and tear people down. Because the Spirit's at work among us right now, building us up, creating unity, bringing us together as a family, as a temple, as a body. That, that's what He's at work doing among us. Renewing us to be righteous and holy, made in the kind of likeness, the image of God Himself. And so don't go against what He's doing among us. That's what Paul's saying here. See, in Jesus, we're free to be the new selves. See, I'm going to skip over 31, 32, come back to them if you've got questions on it. But Paul, Paul reminds us, doesn't he, that in verse 32, God has forgiven us of so much in Christ. He says, this is the ultimate goal of all this. It's not to be perfect, but it's to be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, forgiveness isn't this natural resource. It's something that comes out of an acknowledgement and a recognition of how much Christ has done for you. As Paul puts it at the end in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we're to imitate God as dearly loved children and to walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. We've been made new. We've been made alive in Jesus. We've been had our minds renewed as we've come to God and listened to Him in His Word so that we can be on about what Jesus is on about, so that we can be part of God's plan to see all things brought in unity under the Lordship of King Jesus. See, our cultural moment, which values authenticity so highly, doesn't know what it is to be human, doesn't know what humanity's purpose is, why we were created, what we were made for. But you and I, we do. If we know Jesus, we know that our purpose was, is to relate to God rightly, to know him, to listen to him, to love him, to find our deepest joy and satisfaction in him. Let's commit to being a church community that sits under the word of God and comes and has our minds renewed daily by the spirit, that listens to Jesus, that um, has his spirit shape us and change us, that checks our thoughts, our desires, our attitudes against how Jesus would have us live. That finds true life in Him, not in the things of this world. Do you guys see what the Spirit is doing among you tonight? Renewing you into the image of God so you can live as His people? It's real. It's good. It's who you were made to be. Your true self. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for Jesus. Each one of us was in deep need of rescue. And in Jesus, we found it. He brought us from death to life. He um, saved us from our hard hearts and corrupted desires. He renewed our minds as we came to him and heard from his word in the spirit. And you continue to bring us new life. We pray for each of us here tonight that you would remind us of that truth. We pray for those that don't yet know Jesus, that tonight would be a night where they turn and repent and come to him in need of great rescue and find salvation in Jesus. We pray for us as we seek to live the kind of daily Christian life of, of putting off the old self and putting on the new, 
that you would give us strength and grace to be a community that deals with each other in love and care and encourages each other to live this kind of life. We pray all this in Jesus' name, remembering that we are made in your image. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.